ultimately one of the things that some investors maybe miss or don't really understand is how are the distributions done? Not necessarily in terms of quarterly or monthly, but the actual legal structure of those distributions, meaning when they send you money every month or every quarter, is that a return on capital or a return off your capital? Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. I want to introduce to you Ash Patel. He's a full-time commercial real estate investor. He's going to be doing the interview today and a lot of them moving forward. I'm still going to be doing interviews, just not as many. And he is going to ask tough questions while still building rapport. That way it's not awkward. He's a good friend of mine. Join me in welcoming Ash Patel. Hello, best ever listeners. Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Ash Patel and I'm with today's guest, Lennon Lee. Lennon is joining us from Miami, Florida. Thank you for joining us. And how are you today? I'm doing wonderful, man. Thanks for having me. Fantastic. Lennon has invested his family's life savings into real estate to build a solid future for his parents and siblings. He is both an LP and GP in over 2,000 multifamily units with an approximate market value of $200 million. Lennon, can you tell the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now? For sure, man. Originally born and raised in Venezuela, moved to the U.S. in 2010. Immediately when we moved here, we bought a small portfolio of properties uh, on the residential side. That was 2009, actually. Around 2015, we bought all those properties cash. The return on that equity that we had built there wasn't as attractive anymore. And it was a little bit of hard work on the active side, doing property management and dealing with tenants and the whole thing. So we were looking for vehicles on the more passive side. I found about commercial real estate and how it was valued. I found that multifamily was one of the asset classes that made a lot of sense for a bunch of different reasons that we could spend hours talking about. But we decided we wanted to be passive investors. We wanted to look for for that vehicle that allowed us to provide cash flow and build wealth for my family and my parents primarily. And I would start investing as limited partners. I love what we were doing and I love the people that we were investing with. We're doing on the active side and doing asset management, sourcing deals and raising capital. So I figured I'd like to be on the other side. So I started working actually with Joe initially and started raising capital, partnering up on the GP side for different deals. We provided risk capital on certain deals. I raised capital as well. Eventually, I partnered up with other investors and sort for our own deals. We sponsored and syndicated our own opportunities. And basically, we've done it all. And uh, right now, at this point, with the, the new company that we launched earlier this year, we decided to now self-aware of all the work that it takes. We decided, listen, we want to stay on the capital raising and equity raising side. And that's what we're focused on right now. Interesting. And a lot to dive into here. When you transition from being an active investor to a passive investor on the LP side, what did you look for specifically in a quality GP? That's a great question and, uh, and actually a loaded one. And uh, I can for sure talk about... Well, it's loaded because there's a lot of things that I was looking for and that I think people should look for when betting or evaluating a potential investment with a certain GP or a certain sponsor. Let's start but, a list. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, a bunch of stuff, right? So first of all, again, the way we evaluate it, it's actually, you have the quantitative side and the qualitative side, right? Like you have the, the numbers and like the 
on paper verifiable stuff. And then you, on the other hand, you have the personal side, right? Like the character of the person, how much you like to talk to them and deal with them, regardless of how much track record or how good they are on the business side. We pay a lot of attention to the personal relationship side of things. We want to be doing business with people that we like and obviously that we trust. Ultimately, you're getting into a marriage for like at least three to five to seven years, sometimes 10 years with these people. So ultimately, you want to be doing business with people that you like. So that's on, on the personal side. But then, of course, you have on that more technical side, you want to, of course, do background checks on these people and then background checks from the potential criminal offenses to minor stuff. And then obviously doing a background check into their education, where they go to school, how well prepared they are in business, not necessarily in real estate, but then of course, also on the real estate side, you want to look at how many deals they've done and obviously understand what's their specialty in terms of business plans or investment strategy in these deals that they've done. Obviously you're looking and asking all these questions so that you can understand if they align with what your goals are and what your strategy is as an investor. You know, you want to understand, okay, are these guys doing deals more for the cash flow or more for the appreciation play? Are they doing development deals or, or stabilized deals? Again, there's a, a bunch of questions, but generally speaking, there's that deal side or the investment strategy aspect. And then of course, you want to understand the type of deals that they do, but then how do they structure those deals? That's very, very important as an LP. When you're evaluating the relationship that you're getting into, you want to understand exactly, is there alignment of interest? Are the sponsors putting the investor's interest first before theirs? Is the structure really performance-based or are they just taking fees and then the rest doesn't really matter? How are they doing the distributions? And if you want to get even more technical, you want to obviously read all the legal paperwork, the PPM, the operating agreement of the entity that was created to buy the asset, because ultimately one of the things that some investors maybe miss or don't really understand is how are the distributions done? Not necessarily in terms of quarterly or monthly, but the actual legal structure of those distributions, meaning when they send you money every month or every quarter, is that a return on capital or a return off your capital? That's really a big one because, for example, if you see that you have return on capital, then that's fine because your initial investment is still in the deal and all you're getting is maybe a preferred return. And then the way we like to see it, and this is an, an ideal scenario, every deal is going to be different. We're going to be flexible, but typically this is what we like to see. We want to see a return on capital in the form of a preferred return and then up to a certain percentage, right? Let's say 8%. Then above that 8%, then we do go to return off their invested capital. And then after we return all the capital to the investor, then we go into a certain waterfall, right? Maybe a 70-30 split, and then you have different hurdles of IRRs, but that's what we like to see. What we don't typically like to see is when you have a return off capital, because what that does is that it decreases your basis or decreases your capital account in the deal. And then the calculation for the preferred return, which is on the second position, will be calculated on the capital that's invested in the deal. So after a year, if you invested 100000 you got $8,000 in distributions. Now your capital account is 92000 So your preferred return is going to be calculated on 92000 versus 100000 Again, that's one of the things that we look at and again, a bunch of other stuff, really. That is a great distinction that I don't know a lot of people actually look for. 
return yeah. on capital and return of capital. Thank you for that. You started out by mentioning character. Now, I have to ask you, if somebody's been doing this for five, seven, ten years, and they've got a great track record, do you really have to make sure you get along with them? I do. Again, this is all flexible, right? Like if it's the home run deal that you know, you know the market and you know these guys, maybe you don't love them as a person or whatever. Yeah, okay, maybe you do it. But generally speaking, I probably won't do business with people that I just really don't have a good vibe with. People that honestly, I think are genuine good people. And some of the ways that we kind of look at this is if we're partnering up with a certain operating partner in a certain market, we will go to that market, obviously understand their operations there, their footprint and how they operate in that specific area. But what we're really trying to do is build a personal relationship and understand, okay, maybe we'll go to lunch. Maybe we share with their families eventually. And we understand how these guys or how these people treat their partners, how they treat the waiter when we're having lunch, how they respond in certain situations that might arise at a personal level when you're doing daily stuff versus the type of thing that you don't really see over a Zoom call because you're all you're talking is business. So ultimately, if they have all the track record and they have on paper, they're a pretty good operator. Well, all of that due diligence that you did on the personal side, it's going to tell you something about what these people or what this guy is going to do when stuff hits the fan, right? You're going to see, well, okay, if this is his reaction to a certain situation in life, then maybe when things are going wrong with the deal, maybe they'll react the same way. Again, just maybe. You don't really know. But Yeah. We'll get back to the show in just two minutes, but first, some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. As your portfolio grows, you need financial management services you can rely on to help you save money and continue making the right choices for your company's future. Realestateaccounting.co's top-tier CFO team uses their deep industry and operating experience to guide real estate syndicators, investors, and family offices through every pivotal moment and crucial decision. Their fractional CFO services include budget-to-actual, cash flow and distributions, and reporting and valuation. Go to realestateaccounting.co forward slash CFO to find out why REA is one of the fastest growing real estate accounting companies around. The real estate experts provide timely analysis and consultations to help you make the most informed decisions possible. See and trust where your portfolio is headed with the customized financial reports based on the KPIs that matter to you and your business. Try it risk-free today at realestateaccounting.co forward slash CFO. If you're not sure where to start investing or need help taking the next step, mentorship and coaching is one of the best ways to get going. Think Multifamily is a leading apartment acquisition and education company who provides true one-on-one -on -one coaching to help you invest for your family's future. Their servant leadership approach will guide you to successfully scale your real estate business or assist you to diversify your investments in multifamily. Go to thinkmultifamily.com forward slash coaching to learn how they help working professionals just like you transform their future through partnering and community. In fact, the majority of real estate investors who partner with Think Multifamily get involved in a general partnership within six months. Thinkmultifamily.com forward slash coaching highlights the partnerships, joint ventures, and resources all available through the coaching program. Go to thinkmultifamily.com forward slash coaching to learn how to become a member and get involved. Right. A stressful situation will bring out somebody's true character. And right. maybe if you're out to lunch and their food order was wrong, 
and they flip out, that's a problem. What's going to happen when the deal goes south? I mean, Lennon, it's a flat, let me, let me right? I don't know if it's that. red, orange, or yellow, but it's a flat. So that's, yeah, that's why I agree with you. Lennon, let me twist that question around a little bit. If somebody's got a great character, a great deal, but they don't have the track record, is that a red flag? Or how do you deep dive into that? Yes, it's also a flag. And now I'm talking from the, not necessarily as, a, as a strictly as an LP, which I always tell people everything that we're doing and building at the company and everything that I am and my partner is as well. It's a limited partner. First, we look at everything from the passive investor perspective before anything else. That's who we are. But to answer your question, for example, now we're looking at opportunities and every LP out there can start thinking about different ways to get into a deal that are not necessarily as an LP, at least not at the beginning of a relationship. This is a new sponsor or a new operator that's getting started. He's going to get his first deal done. Maybe you don't trust him enough to give him $100,000 as an LP and that's it. But maybe you do have some liquidity and you can tell, well, I'll provide the risk capital or maybe I'll sign on the loan. I'm not going to be an LP, but I trust your character. If you tell me you're going to raise the capital and that you're going to close on that deal, I'll provide the risk capital. And maybe I'll participate on the general partnership with you, whatever. But the point is that there are ways to build those partnerships. And then you start evaluating how they do on the operation side. Maybe after their first deal, now you feel more confident. Obviously, it's going to be a little bit different for everyone, but that's the way I see it. So I do think if there's someone that you really like, trust, and you think they have a good character, and obviously at least some general understanding or, or success in previous businesses, you might still want to do a deal and invest with them or, or build a partnership in a certain way. So there's different ways to do it. Lennon, can you define risk capital? Risk capital, basically, it's the money that you have to put into the deal before actually closing in the deal. So we're talking about the earnest money deposit. This is actually, as you go under contract, you're going to provide this capital, but it's called risk capital because... Especially right now, we're recording in October 2021, and uh, it's a very competitive market. It's a seller's market, meaning every buyer out there, it's going to have to put not only a lot of money as earnest money, but a lot of that or a huge percentage of that is going to go hard the day that you sign the contract. And then maybe the rest of it after a certain period of due diligence. And you also see in, in today's market, people that are not even contingent to anything, day one, $100,000, $200,000, $300,000. What that means is that if you don't end up closing in the deal or for whatever reason, you find out that this is not a good opportunity after doing your due diligence, all that money is at risk. And you're basically going to lose that money if you back out of the deal. So I guess that's the definition of it. Pretty, yeah. pretty so typically forward. in return for putting up the risk capital, I would assume you're part of the GP yes, and you get rewarded heavily for that risk capital. Yes. Most general partnerships or sponsor teams or operating partner teams, however you want to call them, it's a team of people. You're not only pulling together equity or money, but also different resources from different people. You bring in someone that's good at marketing. You bring someone that's good at the financial and asset management side. The other team member might have been the, the guy that found the deal and is pretty good at broker relationships and sourcing opportunities. But then you also need people to help you. If it's a big enough deal, you might not qualify or have the credentials to get the loan on your own. You need net worth. You need liquidity, experience, a bunch of different things. So part of that team is the guy or the person that 
provides that risk capital. Part of that team is the person that signs on the loan as a key principle. And ultimately, yes, you are getting a share of the general partnership for your contribution to the deal. And I'm not going to go into talking about percentages, how much percentage you're going to get, because that really varies. It could go from 3 to 10% on the risk capital side. It all depends on the experience of the sponsor, how the deal is structured, how the actual deal, if it supports, giving up a little bit more of a equity. It depends, like always. Yeah, Lennon, it seems like going from an LP to a GP is like going from the minor leagues to the major leagues, and you transitioned. What are some ways LPs can become GPs? And can you talk about your journey from being a passive investor to now being an active GP? Yes, I have to say, like I mentioned before, we transitioned from, I would say we, because my partner, Stoney, is not here today, obviously, but he has kind of the same story in terms of going from LP and then becoming active and building this company. We are LPs, always on almost every deal that we do. So we didn't really go from LPs to GPs. We're always LPs and we're always going to be LPs alongside our investors. And again, the way we structure it, the way we evaluate deals, the way we think about everything that we're building is from the LP perspective. That being said, yes, we started going into the active side and this is what we do full time because you got to work, you got to do something to not be bored. So ultimately, yeah, this is a passion of ours. And I think I kind of mentioned different ways. For me specifically, it was the first deal that I did as a GP. I was on the investor relations and capital raising. I think I raised $700,000 for my first deal as a GP. Then I did two deals where, in one of them, I raised a little bit of money, not that much, but I provided the risk capital. And for the third deal, I didn't raise any money. I only provided the risk capital. So I started getting my feet wet on the GP side, meaning I was involved in the conversations when the deal was being evaluated and the business plan was being created. I chimed in and and obviously provided some ideas and, and help here and there. So I started to understand, okay, how are these people putting together the deal? How are they securing the financing? and putting together the team to then execute the business plan. So start learning by being involved in these calls and these meetings and all that. Then I raised capital for a couple of deals. And eventually, early 2019, I put together my first deal, meaning from top to bottom. I was the lead sponsor, however people call them these days. That was me, my partner. There was three of us, actually. We did a lot of work evaluating a deal in the Jacksonville market, which we loved. And then we started sourcing deals, building a relationship with the brokers. Again, the whole story from sourcing the deal to securing the finance and raising all the equity. We raised $4.2 million for that deal to do the asset management, everything. And right now, actually, we closed yesterday. I thought that I'm so used to say we're about to close that we actually closed on that deal, made good money for our investors, and we're really, really happy. So, so you yeah. didn't go out last night and celebrate? Not last night. I'm still <laughs> taking it all in and making sure that our investors are setting up. We're setting up everything to pay our investors. Once the money hits our account, after making all sure that any debt are paid, everything, that's when I think we'll be able to celebrate confidently. So a $4.2 million raise is significant. How did you raise that kind of money? 
Well, the power of building partnerships as well. And everything that we think about raising capital, we don't really see our investors as clients. Our clients, because we're buying businesses, right? Like this is a multifamily property, a commercial real estate deal. It's a business. There's income, there's expenses, and it's valued on the difference of those two. That's the bottom line. So our clients are actually our tenants. So we never really call or try not to anyway, look at our investors as clients. These are our partners. So not only do we build partnerships directly with our investors, that process for the capital raising there, it's been years of hard work of building relationships and putting ourselves out there in terms of telling people what we do, educating people on the benefits of investing on our deals and the type of deals that we do. A lot of digital marketing, a lot of in-person meetups and events and networking. That's the main way. And then I guess we'll take another podcast to go into detail about all of that. But also there's different legal structures that allow you to bring into the deal actually on the GP side as well, that people that may bring different value to the team on the GP side and on the active side, but then also they have a certain network of investors that might want to get into the deal. So there's a specific structure called fund of funds. Basically people build a small fund and then they invest in your fund, which in this case, typically we do a deal per deal basis, but The idea is that they create a vehicle for their investors and that vehicle invests in our deals as LPs. Ultimately, a part of those $4 million, it's not all directly from the $50,000 to $100,000 investors that we raise. The majority like that, but then some of it from these funds of funds. And that's kind of all based on relationships and all based on spending years out there talking to people, understanding what capacity do they have. And ultimately understanding that the real value that they can bring to a transaction and to a deal. And it paid off for us on that Jacksonville deal that we did. We'll get back to the show in just two minutes, but first some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. Let me ask you a question. Do you want to start your own syndication business or maybe you've tried, but you've been unable to get your first apartment deal? Well, it's hard. I know firsthand getting started in syndication is not easy. So have you considered working with a mentor? Imagine working one-on-one with a full-time syndicator who can help you do your first apartment building deal faster, help you avoid big mistakes, and scale your portfolio. If you feel like I'm speaking to you right now, then I want you to check out the mentoring program from my friend Michael Blanc, who specializes in helping people get started with apartment buildings. I've known Michael for many years now, and he genuinely wants to help people become financially free. He developed a proven system and has helped hundreds of people do their first apartment building deal. I know he can help you as well. To find out more, text the word Joe. J-O-E, to 66866. I know Michael's going to take care of you. Go ahead and text the word Joe, J-O-E, to 66866. Do it right now while it's fresh on your mind, and let's get you started with your own apartment syndication business. Here's a problem you're probably not solving for right now. Have you ever had a tenant squat inside your rental and refuse to pay rent? Or are you worried about renting to a serial rent dodger? You've probably used a credit report for tenant screening before, but what if I told you you're missing out on info you need to properly verify prospective tenants? That's a problem, and the solution is Rentify. Rentify provides a summary of a prospective tenant's financial information using bank-verified transactional data you can't get from a credit check. This includes monthly income, payroll, past rent payments, and identity verification. 
Rentify's reports also highlight non-sufficient funds, overdraft history, and missed rent payments. It's all available at www.trustrentify.com. The best part is Rentify's financial reports instantly verify the full financial picture of a tenant within minutes, so you will no longer have to waste hours or even days verifying their information manually. And you can eliminate the risk of being duped by fraudulent documents and losing thousands of dollars getting unreliable tenants evicted. Visit TrustRentify.com and use the promo code FAIRLESS for 25% off your first report package. That's T-R-U-S-T-R-E-N-T-I-F-Y.com. Put in the promo code FAIRLESS, F-A-I-R-L-E-S-S, for 25% off your first report package. So if I have a number of high net worth friends, I pull all of their money together and let's say I raise a million dollars amongst us and I come to a GP and say, hey, I've got a million dollars. Do I get preferential treatment? Do I get a higher percentage return? Do I get part of the GP side? How does that work? Yeah, ultimately it's real estate, but these are private equity deals, right? And they can take any shape or form that the sponsor wants really. And then you put it in front of the investors. If that makes sense for them, then great. And then you also put it in front of a certain investors Someone in the scenario that you're mentioning, then you put it in front of them. They say, well, yes, but maybe different terms for my side of the equity. And ultimately you have what's called the capital stack. You have the debt and the equity. Typically the debt is the largest portion, but then on the equity side, typically the most simple ways to have one tier on the equity side, but you could have multiple tiers. You could have common equity, preferred equity, or however many tiers you really want. It's ultimately up to you. Obviously you don't want to make it as complicated, but depending on the deal, it might call for it. And you might have a certain class of investors that get the common equity. And then you have a certain class of investors that get preferential treatment. And that might mean a little bit higher returns, or they might mean they're going to get paid first. It depends, but ultimately the answer is yes. You can provide preferential treatment to different parts of the equity and different investors. And then you being the GP, do you have to communicate with all of my investors or do you just communicate with me? And is it my responsibility to disseminate that information to my investors? Like always, it depends, whatever you prefer. Ultimately, as a general partner and as managers of these entities leading the charge, we are going to have access to all investors in the deal. So if your investors invested directly in the entity, then I will have access to that information. And obviously, this is all based on the trust and the relationship that we have. It doesn't mean that I need to talk to them or communicate with them, but I obviously have their information. Legally, it's what has to happen. In a fund of funds, for example, it's a little bit different because ultimately, the LP in the deal, it's not a bunch of investors. It's just one entity. And with that entity as a general partner is that you communicate with. And you manage that entity. Obviously, you distribute all the capital to them. You do all the work that actually we're doing for our investors. So yeah, it depends. Yeah, and that answers my question. So if I raise all of the money, it's my responsibility to make sure my investors receive yeah. proper communications, either through oh, yeah. me or you. Yeah. yeah. Do you have a specific niche of investors? Is it people with a similar background? Is it doctors? Is it people in a yeah. certain geographic location? Yeah, it's a great question. So far, it's pretty diverse. I've always said that I'm focused on the Hispanic investors and just naturally friends and family in Hispanic and down here in Miami. Yes, we do have not really the majority at this point, but I would say a good 30% of our investors are Hispanics and down here in Miami or from Latin America. 
but I wasn't really focusing on that. Right now, we are actually working with a, a new marketing team that we're putting together. And the idea is to, yes, to really be thoughtful about the messaging, the brand, and how it's all done and structured so that we are targeting the Hispanic accredited investors and helping them and understanding their stories and obviously sharing my story, which they will identify with. So that's going to be our focus moving forward. Not exclusively, obviously, but I think we can help a lot of Hispanic investors understand how it works. And obviously I understand how they think having parents that sometimes they don't really think the same way that an American investor would. Yeah. It's a culture that you understand intimately. Lennon, what advice would you give to somebody who's been on the LP side for years and now they're going to actively take down their own deal and raise funds for the very first time? I would say self-awareness is everything. It took me and my partner I always liked to be on the capital raising side. I knew that was my strength and didn't really love the operation side. I still went into the operation side. I still went into the deal sourcing and underwriting and the whole thing. But I came back to my quote unquote comfort zone, just my strength zone. I would actually call it in this case. So just make sure if that's what you want to do. Again, there's different ways that you can be on the active side of things. Maybe you don't like to talk to people or brokers or anything. You just want to stay on the underwriting and then asset management side, financials and all that. Maybe you do like to talk to brokers and you do like to travel and be in different markets and evaluating the strengths of different markets and all that. So deal sourcing might be a good way. You find a deal, you partner out with other people. Maybe you have some liquidity, you do risk capital. Maybe you have a good net worth. You might be a KP on the loan. Maybe you do like capital raising and you have a good network of investors and you do that. My point is there's different avenues for you to participate and become a general partner and then grow from there. Just understand or try to anyway, study it and and, and understand what it takes to do each one of those tasks and see where you fit better. Self-awareness and focus on your strengths. Lennon, thank you so much for being on the show today and sharing your story from Venezuela to being an LP and now a GP. And one thing that really resonated with me was you always look at yourself as an LP first. So rather than look at how much money you can extract, it's you look at things from the point of your investors, which I think is very important. So thank you for that advice. How can the best ever listeners reach out to you? Well, I'm on social media, all the platforms, Lennon Lee. It's not necessarily a common name, so you'll find me. Just type Lennon Lee real estate, but send me an email directly. That's Lennon at com. because that's a more direct way. Best way I really say would be to go to cwrei.com forward slash dream. There you put your email, you'll get a, a, a book that we wrote about the way we think about investments. It's called the four investing rules for the new American dream. Once you download it, you'll be prompted to set up a call with us and get in contact with us. I think that'll be a good way to do it. And that way you will understand a little bit better the way we think about awesome. what we do. Lennon, thank you again for joining us. Best ever listeners. Thank you for joining us and have a best ever day. Thanks, man.